0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We are in the the last week of a series that we've been in for a, a good chunk of the summer over really the last couple months, but if you're just joining us, we've been in a series called Accidental Pharisees, and and the idea behind this, this series is is looking and recognizing these things that uh, we may be very intentionally and and perhaps out a very sincere heart to follow God, we may accidentally fall into some traps in which we're actually not following him, and and we become Pharisees, and so we've been trying to to figure out what those things are, and so we've looked at, at legalism and pride and exclusivity, and last week we looked at uniformity. Uh, but this week, we're going to be uh, unpacking uh, an idea that I'm calling gift projection, gift projection, all right? But before we get into what that means, what, what gift projection is, uh, I want to unpack the root of it, where this idea of gift projection comes from and why I think it's actually especially dangerous uh, in our culture where we live in, in our context. And so, so here's the root of, of uh, gift projection. Uh, we live in a, a hyper-individualized culture, Right? That like products are marketed to us because you deserve it, you're the best, or we're, we're, we live in a country that's very proud of, of individual rights and, and protecting those and defending those and that's a big deal to us. And so, so we live in this culture that's, that's hyper-individualized and so then what happens is we, we start to you know, believe in God and we, and we read the Bible and we start to do that hyper-individualization to our spiritual life. And we have this spirituality in which we think that I'm at the center of God's universe. And this leads to uh, actual conversations I've had with people where they'll say something like this, well, you know, pastor, uh, the other day it was, it was raining and uh, I was going to HEB to, to do some shopping and I just really didn't want to walk in the rain. Oh, but God moved one of those cars and he opened up a parking space for me. I know he did it just for me. I'm his special child, right? Now, I know God cares about each of us as individuals. He does, okay? And, and every good gift is from him, all right? But, but I think when we live in a world in which our brothers and sisters in Christ are being beheaded for the sake of the gospel, I think it's possible that God's plans and concerns for the world are a little bit bigger than where you're parking at H-E-B, Right? Right? But it's this sort of default setting in our hearts in which we're always asking. The banner over our lives is always, what about me? What about me? What about me? And so if we become the center of God's universe, it's only logical then in our heads that our giftings and our callings would be the center of God's universe. And those would be the main ways that he'd want to do his work in the world. And that's how gift projection happens. And so in our text for today, uh, we have the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church in Rome. And he's writing to them, and he's, he's going to share with them, the text we're going to read, he's going to share with them individual gifts that God has given to members of that community. But before he does that, before he unpacks that, he wants to let them know that, that their gifts are not about them, but they're for the sake of others. Look with me at the, the first couple of verses, Romans 12, 1 through 2 uh, Paul's writing and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, right? And so if you, you know, go back in your mind, ninth grade English class, uh, if somebody's going to use the word therefore where they're writing, it means they're concluding something, right? He's been building an argument and now he's concluding something. And so what's he concluding? Well, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is Paul just laying out in every possible way, in every phrase conceivable. He's trying to spell out for the, uh, the Roman church the gospel, what God has done to save us. And so for the first 11 chapters, that's what he does. And, and there's a lot of familiar passages. If you grew up in church, you'll probably recognize some of these. That in, in Romans 3, he says, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 8, 34 to 35, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who is raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And so again and again and again through these first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is stressing the gospel. He's just laying it out there in so many different ways. He's saying, listen, hey, we were sinners. We were separated from God. We deserved his His justice and his wrath. But that didn't happen. God had mercy on us and he sent his son and he poured out his grace in our lives and and Jesus went to the cross and took our place and, and through his death and resurrection as we trust in him, we're brought into a right relationship with him and so God doesn't look at us as under his wrath but he looks at us as his children whom he loves, whom he cares for, who are holy and dearly loved. He looks at us and that's never, ever, ever going to change. Nothing will ever separate us from that love. Love. That's what Paul's been spelling out in the first half of this book. And he says, in light of that, in light of all that God has done for you in the gospel of Jesus, in the light of that, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, what's a living sacrifice? It's a weird phrase. I mean, despite being probably a sweet name for a Christian metal band, uh, which I think exists, but uh, at any rate, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of weird. What's a living sacrifice? And, and the, the Greek, the literal translation is even weirder. It's, uh, the word for sacrifice is killing. So what it actually says is a living killing. Make your life a, a living killing. So what's that? what's that mean? What's he getting at? Well, Paul is being deliberately paradoxical here. Okay, so he's, he's writing to a, a culture of people that would know all about sacrifices, whether they came from the Greco-Roman world or whether they, they grew up in, in ancient Judaism, uh, they would know about animal sacrifices. And so what Paul's trying to do in, in this paradox by talking about a living sacrifice is he's trying to say the Christian life is both like and unlike the old animal sacrifices, the Christian life is both like and unlike the old animal sacrifices. So it's unlike the animal sacrifices in that the, the ancient animal sacrifices were to atone for the sins of the people that you, you, you killed an animal and that was meant to, to cover over uh, your wrongdoings before God. And, and so that was the idea. And so what he's not saying is that, and so now your life, you're atoning for your sins and you're making up for what you've done because, as we just talked about, he spent the first 11 chapters of Romans saying, no, 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 Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He covers over everything. We're already accepted. We're already good to go. So it's, it's not like the old sacrifices in that sense. But here's how it is like the old sacrifices something dies, something dies. Animals killed in an old sacrifice, something dies for us in the Christian life as living sacrifices. And what is that? Here's what's put to death in the Christian life, ready? Here's what's put to death in the Christian life. The right to live as you choose. It's put to death, okay, America? The right to live as you choose. The idea that you belong to yourself, the idea that you know best what should happen in your life, you put that to death. It's painful. You put it to death and you give it to God. You become a living sacrifice to God. And so it means that a hyper individualized, me centered spirituality is killed and it's replaced with a life that's lived for God. Let me just say something real quick. Uh, for some of you, uh, we have friends who are with us. Uh, most Sundays, we have folks here who are uh, maybe kicking the tires on the Christian faith, peeking over the fence, and, and aren't sure if it's for them. And what I just said, if, if you're not quite a Christian yet, may have been kind of offensive to you. May be a reason why you're not a Christian. May say, "Ah, see, I knew it. It's about God wanting to control people." And so you're saying up there, Pastor, that you want people to just give their whole lives over to God so He can control them like little puppets. Well, guess what? Not going to happen to me, Saka. I want to be free, right? I want to be free. I want to live for me. I'm going to be free. If that's you, please don't kid yourself. Okay? Everybody lives for something. Everybody sacrifices for something. You're not free. You're either living for that person or that relationship or that career or that ideal or whatever it is, that thing. You become a living sacrifice for that thing. Whatever it is. And so listen, the the only thing that is capable of sustaining and giving you the fulfillment that you long for is the God who created everything. It's the God who knows you. And so let me implore you to be a living sacrifice for him, towards him. It's infinitely better than anything else you would live your life for. Infinitely better than anything else you'd live your life for. And so that's why he goes on to say, St. Paul goes on to say, he says, don't be conformed to this world, a me-centered world. It doesn't work, he says, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in the next few verses, he explains what happens as that transformation takes place. That as you go from a, a me-centered view to a Christ-centered way of living, he shows what happens. Look with me at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so we see here it's pretty simple, right? The, the transformed mind, the life that lives towards God, not towards myself, starts with me not thinking too highly of myself. And that's, that's logical, right? But then in the next few verses, he says, all right, so if you're not thinking too highly of yourself, that's inherently going to bleed over into how you engage other people. And so look with me at verses four and five. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what he's saying here is, listen, if if my mind is transformed, if I realize I'm not the center of God's universe, then I'm going to realize that God has called other people and God's using other people and he's using different giftings to accomplish his purposes in the world. And I'm going to celebrate that and be happy about that. But, but here's the rub for us, right? Is uh, one of the things we see in scripture is that, that we're uh, simul justus et peccator, all right? That's a little Latin for you this morning. Uh, you are awake, Adam? All right, good. Uh, it's <laughs> simultaneously saint and sinner, right? And so on the one hand, we get that and we celebrate that and we say, yes, God's given us a diversity of gifts and he's brought together different people to be used in different ways. And so we celebrate that and we get that. But then on the other hand, we still have this sinful self inside of us, That wrestles with the fact that other people are gifted differently than we are. And this sort of comes out in two different ways. Gift projection and gift envy. Gift projection and gift envy. And and honestly, if you think about it, you more than likely wrestle with one, if not both of these. And so we're just going to dig into them for a little bit here. Uh, We'll start with gift projection, okay? So gift projection, simply put, is when your calling, your specific calling, becomes everyone else's calling or it's when your gift needs to be everyone else's gift. And we we touched on this a little bit uh, last week with uniformity, but but really gift projection is when you have a particular zeal for the Lord, a particular way of serving him, and, and when other people don't have that, you then deem them as less than. You use what your particular thing is as the measuring stick for everyone else's spiritual growth, and you say, well, if you're not doing what I'm doing, you don't got it together. You're not as committed to Jesus as I am. Uh, so Melissa and I, uh, which, by the way, just, I'm really excited. She's sitting in the front row. I got to worship with her, and she's actually in here for the first time in, like, a year. I mean, I don't know. It's crazy. So if I seem nervous, you know, I got this beautiful woman up front. So give me a break. Um, anyways, but we, we both grew up in, uh, in uh, very, what's what I'm looking for, homes that practice a lot of hospitality. And so, like, I know for myself growing up, I had people over my house, literally like every day. And, and we were kind of the, like, whenever a holiday came around, if people didn't have a home or family to go to, like Casper family was where you went. And that's just what we did As growing up was like, hospitality was just a big deal uh, where I'm from and, and where, where Melissa came from. And so now that, that we're a family together, it's a big deal to us. It's something that, that we find to be uh, really, really important. Uh, in fact, earlier this week, um, our, my son Titus, one and a half, he uh, was walking around with a muddler. Does anybody know what one of those are? It's what you use to crush mint leaves for a mojito. There you go, Gatikas. All right. And, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, we, we actually don't have a home right now. We live with the Carries. And, and Grant was like, what is that? And I'm like, you use it to, to crush mint leaves for, for mojitos. He's like, do you make that many mojitos? And I was like, oh brother, we are a mojito making machine, right? Uh, but that's just part of who we are. We just love having people over. We love celebrating with people and, and, and doing that sort of thing. And And that's good. And of course, hospitality is something that I think God calls all of us as Christians to do and to practice. But if I were to say something to the effect of like, if you're not having your neighbors over three nights a week, then you don't really love Jesus, then you're not really following him. That's gift projection, right? That's a a particular zeal that God's given us, particular passion he's given us. And if I impose that on someone else, that's gift projection. And many of us do this. I've never heard anyone do it out loud. Uh, but I think we do it in our heads, right? Well, why aren't those people gathering hosts? Right? Don't, don't they know it's important to welcome people to church? Why don't those, why don't those people work with our kids? Why don't they care about our children? They're the future, you know. Why don't those people go out and serve in the community as much as I do? Are they, are they nervous? Are they scared? We should get over it. Or why aren't those people as passionate about evangelism and social justice as I am? I mean, don't they see where this world is going? Don't they want to do something about it? What's their problem? And on and on it goes. We have these particular giftings, these particular passions, and when other people don't have them, we want to project them on them. And of course, those are all things we should care about, right? Welcoming others, caring for our kids, service, evangelism, social justice. These are things that all Christians should care about. But it becomes gift projection when my zeal for one particular thing trumps all the other stuff that God has called us to do. Okay? We get that gift projection? Good enough? All right. So gift envy. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, gift envy is pretty simple, right? Gift envy is when you look at a gift that God has given to someone to use in the kingdom, and you, you highly value that gift, and you say, why don't I have it? And you, you throw yourself a pity party. Why don't I have that gift? So... Uh, Prior to uh, planting this church, I had to go through a, a boatload of assessments, and uh, one of the ones I went through is called uh, the APEST, and the APEST stands for Apostles, Prophets, Evangelists, Shepherds, and Teachers, and it's kind of these these five uh, distinctions in, in leadership in, in Christian ministry that are laid out in Ephesians 4. And so what you do is, is uh, you take this test and it tells you which one of these you're stronger. And so each of these leaders are kind of different. So apostles are, are typically kind of your, your visionary, uh, entrepreneurial Uh, just like to start new things and prophets are the type of people that are constantly calling people into line with God's will and saying this is what we need to be doing evangelists of course you know love reaching lost people and they're really really good at it Uh, shepherds are those who who care for God's people and and then empower them to do the work of ministry and and then teachers are those that love to to pass on the knowledge of God and so that's apostles prophets evangelists shepherds teachers now going into this test uh, I had been told that, that like 85% of anyone who wants to plant a church uh, scores highest as an apostle, right? They score highest as an apostle, which makes sense, right? You're sort of that visionary, entrepreneurial, it, it makes sense. And so I was told, if you want to plant a church, you better score high as an apostle. And so uh, I go in to, to take this test. Side note, uh, for those of you uh, who haven't seen or read Divergent this is the exact same plot line, okay? (laughs) Um, And so so I I, I take the test expecting to come out as a dauntless, I mean, a, uh, a high apostle score. And I didn't, I didn't. You know what my highest score was? Shepherd, shepherd, right? So I was just crushed, like instead of being apostolic, like the dude knife between his teeth, you know, carving the path for God's people to go through, I got relegated to being a shepherd, standing in the back of the line, holding old ladies' hands. Oh, God, why have you done this to me, right? And uh, this may sound a little silly, but it honestly shook me to my core because uh, the reality is the guys I look up to in ministry, the guys who I think are like doing the coolest stuff out there, I know for a fact, score very highly as apostles. And so I thought, God, why, why didn't you gift me that way? Why didn't you gift me to be this like, fearless leader who's always able to look at, at the 30,000-foot view and see what's coming ahead and just bravely lead people onward? Why, why didn't you gift me that way? Why can't I be like that? And see, so gift, envy, it happens in, in professional ministry, but the reality is it happens in those of you who are not in professional ministry. It happens to each one of us. And this is how you can tell if it's happening to you. These three words enter your head. I've said this before. Must be nice. Use those words, must be nice. That's how you know you got some envy happening. Must be nice. Must be nice being able to be that generous. Too bad we can't do that right now. Must be nice. Must be nice to be able to help set up on Sunday mornings. Too bad i got 14 little kids. Must be nice. Must be nice having so many friends at church. But I'm introverted, not going to happen. Must be nice. Must be nice to be able to play an instrument like Jesse and Matt and Tanner. Must be nice. Must be nice to serve at VBS next week, but I'm too busy. Couldn't happen. Must be nice being able to, to speak like Pastor Gay, but I'm too nervous to talk about Jesus. Must be nice. Must be nice. See, this is gift envy. right? They've got it, I don't, and now I'm having a pity party. All right? Gift envy. And this happens. Gift projection happens, and gift envy happens. We insist others have the same calling as us, and then we wish that we had other people's callings. But see, in our text, Paul gives us two practical ways to to get out of these traps of envy and projection. And that's gift gratitude and gift identification. I just want to break those down real quick. Gift gratitude and gift identification. If you wrestle with gift projection, if that's kind of your thing, uh, let's talk about gift gratitude. Because if you're wrestling with gift projection, it's probably because you've forgotten that whatever God has given you a passion for, whatever God has equipped you to do, You've probably forgotten that it's a gift, right? That you didn't earn it. You didn't create it. It wasn't you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Listen to the first part of verse six in our text. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so God may have gifted you to share your faith really well. That's awesome. Use it. We need it in the church. But recognize that's a gift. And God may have gifted you to be outrageously generous, to live with both hands open, and that's awesome. We need that. Use it, but recognize that that is a gift from God. And God may have gifted you to serve or you're just willing to do whatever for whoever, whenever. And that's awesome. We need that to use it, but recognize that that mentality, that way of being is a gift from God. And the proper response to a gift is, thank you, thank you. See, if I think the things that I'm drawn to, the things that I'm equipped to do are of my own making, of my own development, then it's easy for me to project on others, right? Well, I know it's hard, but I figured it out. Why can't they? Well, I, I know it's important, I know it's challenging, but I figured it out, why don't they get it together? But if I recognize that my passions, the things I've been empowered to do, my skills and dispositions are actually gifts from God, there's no place for projection, right? It's God has given me this gift to do this. Oh, and he's given you that gift to do that? Oh, awesome, let's celebrate that. This is a good thing, we, we rejoice in that. So when you realize it's all a gift from God, you're, you're freed from projecting on others, and are actually able to rejoice that God has knit us all together. So whatever God has equipped you to do, whatever gift he's given you, it's all grace. And the proper response is thank you. It's thank you. Now some of you may be saying, okay, Gabe, that's fine. Uh, but I don't really, you are know, talking about these gifts, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what my gifts are. And uh, if that's you, you more than likely wrestle with gift envy because you're looking around, you see people do stuff, see people getting, getting work done, and you're saying, why, why is this not happening for me? And so a step for you to take is gift identification. Recognize where God has called you and equipped you. And Paul lays out a list, and this isn't an all-encompassing list, but he lays out a list of some possible gifts that you may have as, as part of the church. So if you look with me at, a, at 6B through 8, he lays a few of them out. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness See so you to catch what he does there he says, okay, here's, here's some possible gifts. Here's a, a list of things that you could be gifted at. And then he says, whatever your gift is, you notice it says, go for it hard, right? Just look at it. He says, hey, if it's, if it's prophesying, which isn't about telling the future, it's about speaking God's truth into a specific context. He says, if that's your thing, do it. If it's serving, then get serving, son. If it's teaching, then educate well. If it's giving, Give a lot. If it's leadership, do it with zeal. If acts of mercy and social justice are what move your heart, then then do it with great joy. So whatever your gift is, he's saying, go for it hard. Now, can you imagine that? If we all identified our gifts and then went for it, can you imagine what our church looked like? If each one of us asked God and said, hey God, what have you made me to do? What have you made me to do? And then if we identified what that was and then went for it, man, can you imagine what our church would look like? I mean, we're already pretty awesome, right? But this would just take it to a whole nother level. Like, it would just be incredible. And you say, that's great, Pastor Gabe, but like, how do I identify my gift? You talk about this, but, but how do I do that? Uh, well, back in the day, there used to be like spiritual inventory assessment tools and you, you fill those bad boys out and there's nothing wrong with those. They're okay. Although I do have a friend that like, refuses to take those because every time he'd do it, he'd get the spiritual gift of martyrdom. He's like, he's like, come on, I can only use it once, you know. So, like, uh. um, so, so he's done with that. Uh, but, but I honestly, I think the best way to figure it out is to have people that love Jesus, that love you and know you really well and say, hey, what are my strengths? What do you see as, as a way in which I'm gifted? What do you see as a strength in my life? And ask them that and let them tell you. And if you say, well, I don't have people like that in my life. Okay, that's all right. Stick around here for a while. We'll suck you in eventually, all right? Because the reality is, and then Sarah just want to close, that God has gifted each one of you. That he's given us gifts and he's given us to use them for the advancement of his kingdom. And he's got a purpose for each of you, he does. And so let's figure this out together and pursue what God has called us to as we live as living sacrifices for our redeeming King. If y'all please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that not only have you called us and redeemed us and claimed us as your children, you've equipped us to do your ministry here on this earth, to serve others, to speak your truth, to to care for those in our path, Lord. And I just pray for my friends today, those that, that don't know what you've equipped them to do, that you would make that clear to them. You'd open their eyes where they can best live for you. And those of us that that know some of the areas you've called us to be, teach us to be humble with those gifts. Teach us not to project them on others, but in humility use them to service and building up of your body. Lord Jesus, we love you and we trust you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.